Chapter 8 of Tarzan and the Golden Lion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josh Herring of Abingdon, Virginia. Tarzan and the Golden Lion by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 8 Mystery of the Past. Law had breakfasted the following morning, and had sent Duth with food for Tarzan, when there came to her a young priestess, who was the sister of Oa. Even before the girl had spoken, Law knew that she was an emissary from Kaj, and that the treachery of which Duth had warned her was already under way. The girl was ill at ease and quite evidently frightened, for she was young and held in high revere the queen whom she had good reason to know was all-powerful, and who might even inflict death upon her if she so wished. Law, who had already determined upon a plan of action that she knew would be most embarrassing to Kaj and his conspirators, waited in silence for the girl to speak but it was some time before the girl could muster up her courage or find a proper opening. Instead, she spoke of many things that had no bearing whatsoever upon her subject, and Law, the high priestess, was amused at her discomfiture. It is not often, said Law, that the sister of Oa comes to the apartments of her queen unless she is bidden. I am glad to see that she at last realizes the service that she owes to the high priestess of the flaming god. I come, said the girl at last, speaking almost as one who has learned a part to tell you that I have overheard that which may be of interest to you, and that I am sure that you will be glad to hear. Yes? interrogated Law, raising her arched eyebrows. I overheard Kaj speaking with the lesser priests, the girl continued, and I distinctly heard him say that he would be glad if the ape-man escaped, as that would relieve you and Kaj as well of much embarrassment. I thought that Law, the queen, would be glad to know this, for it is known by all of us that Law has promised friendship to the ape-man, and therefore does not wish to sacrifice him upon the altar of the flaming god. My duty is plain to me, replied Law, in a haughty voice, and I do not intend Kaj nor any handmaiden to interpret it to me. I also know the prerogatives of a high priestess, and that the right of sacrifice is one of them. For this reason I prevented Kaj from sacrificing the stranger." No other hand than mine may offer his heart's blood to the flaming god, and upon the third day he shall die beneath my knife upon the altar of our temple. The effect of these words upon the girl were precisely what Law had anticipated. She saw disappointment and chagrin written upon the face of Kaj's messenger, who now had no answer, for her instructions had not foreseen this attitude upon the part of Law. Presently the girl found some lame pretext upon which to withdraw, and when she had left the presence of the high priestess, Law could scarcely restrain a smile. She had no intention of sacrificing Tarzan, but this, of course, the sister of Oa did not know. So she returned to Kaj and repeated as nearly as she could recall it all that Law had said to her. The high priest was much chagrined, for his plan had been now not so much to encompass the destruction of Tarzan as to lead Law into the commission of an act that would bring upon her the wrath of the priests and people of Opar, who, properly instigated, would demand her life in expiation. Oa, who was present when her sister returned, bit her lips for great was her disappointment. Never before had she seen so close at hand the longed-for possibility of becoming high priestess. For several minutes she paced to and fro in deep thought, and then suddenly she halted before Kaj. La loves this ape-man, she said, and even though she may sacrifice him, it is only because of her fear of her people. She loves him still, loves him better, Kaj, than she has ever loved you. The ape-man knows it, and trusts her, and because he knows it there is a way. Listen, Kaj, to Oa. We will send one to the ape-man, who shall tell him that she comes from La, and that La has instructed her to lead him out of Opar and set him free. This one shall lead him into our ambush, and when he is killed we shall go, many of us, before La, and accuse her of treachery. 
the one who led the ape-man from Opar shall say that La ordered her to do it, and the priests and the people will be very angry, and then you shall demand the life of La. It will be very easy, and we shall be rid of both of them. Good, replied Kaj. We shall do this thing at dawn upon the morrow, and before the flaming god goes to his rest at night, he shall look upon a new high priestess in Opar. That night Tarzan was aroused from his sleep by a sound at one of the doors of his prison cell. He heard the bolt slipped back, and the door creaked slowly open upon its ancient hinges. In the inky darkness he could discern no presence, but he heard the stealthy movement of sandaled feet upon the concrete floor, and then, out of the darkness, his name was whispered in a woman's voice. I am here, he replied. Who are you, and what do you want of Tarzan of the Apes? Your life is in danger, replied the voice. Come, follow me. Who sent you? demanded the ape-man, his sensitive nostrils searching for a clue to the identity of the nocturnal visitor. But so heavily was the air laden with the pungent odor of some heavy perfume with which the body of the woman seemed to have been anointed, that there was no distinguishing clue by which he might judge as to whether she was one of the priestesses he had known upon the occasion of his former visits to Opar, or an entire stranger to him. La sent me, she said, to lead you from the pits of Opar to the freedom of the outside world beyond the city's walls. Groping in the darkness, she finally found him. Here are your weapons, she said, handing them to him, and then she took his hand, turned, and led him from the dungeon, through a long, winding, and equally black corridor, down flights of age-old concrete steps, through passages and corridors, opening and closing door after door that creaked and groaned upon rusty hinges. How far they traveled thus, and in what direction, Tarzan could not guess. He had gleaned enough from Duth, when the latter had brought him his food, to believe that in law he had a friend who would aid him for Duth had told him that she had saved him from Kaj, when the latter had discovered him unconscious in the deserted boma of the Europeans who had drugged and left him. And so, the woman having said that she came from law, Tarzan followed her willingly. He could not but recall Jane's prophecy of the evils that he might expect to befall him should he persist in undertaking this third trip to Opar, and wondered if, after all, his wife was right, that he should never again escape from the toils of the fanatical priests of the flaming god. He had not, of course, expected to enter Opar, but there seemed to hang over the accursed city a guardian demon that threatened the life of whosoever dared approach the forbidden spot or wrest from the forgotten treasure vaults a portion of their great hoard. For more than an hour, his guide led him through the Stygian darkness of underground passages until, ascending a flight of steps, they emerged into the center of a clump of bushes through which the pale light of the moon was barely discernible. The fresh air, however, told him that they had reached the surface of the ground, and now the woman, who had not spoken a word since she had led him from his cell, continued on in silence, following a devious trail that wound hither and thither in an erratic fashion through a heavy forest choked with undergrowth, and always upward. From the location of the stars and moon, and from the upward trend of the trail, Tarzan knew that he was being led into the mountains that lie behind Opar, a place he had never thought of visiting, since the country appeared rough and uninviting, and not likely to harbor game such as Tarzan cared most to hunt. He was already surprised by the nature of the vegetation, for he had thought the hills barren except for stunted trees and scraggy bushes. As they continued upon their way, climbing ever upward, the moon rose higher in the heavens, until its soft light revealed more clearly to the keen eyes of the ape-man the topography of the country they were traversing, and then it was that he saw they were ascending a narrow, thickly wooded gorge, and he understood why the heavy vegetation had been invisible from the plain before Opar. Himself naturally uncommunicative, the woman's silence made no particular impression upon Tarzan. Had he had anything to say, he should have said it and likewise he assumed that there was no necessity for her speaking unless there was some good reason for speaking, for those who travel far and fast have no breath to waste upon conversation. The eastern stars were fading at the first hint of coming dawn when the two scrambled up a precipitous bank that formed the upper end of the ravine, and came out upon comparatively level ground. 
As they advanced, the sky lightened, and presently the woman halted at the edge of the declivity, and as the day broke, Tarzan saw below him a wooded basin in the heart of the mountain, and, showing through the trees at what appeared to be some two or three miles distant, the outlines of a building that glistened and sparkled and scintillated in the light of the new sun. Then he turned and looked at his companion, and surprise and consternation were writ upon his face, for standing before him was La, the high priestess of Opar. You? he exclaimed. Now indeed will Kaj have the excuse that Duth said he'd sought to put you out of the way. He will never have the opportunity to put me out of the way, replied La, for I shall never return to Opar. Never return to Opar? he exclaimed. Then where are you going? Where can you go? I am going with you, she replied. I do not ask that you love me. I only ask that you take me away from Opar and from the enemies who would slay me. There is no other way. Manu the monkey overheard them plotting, and he came to me and told me all that they would do. Whether I saved you or sacrificed you, it had all been the same with me. They were determined to do away with me, that Oa might be high priestess and Kaj king of Opar. But I should not have sacrificed you, Tarzan, under any circumstances, and this, then, seemed the only way in which we might both be saved. We could not go to the north or to the west across the plains of Opar, for there Kaj placed warriors in ambush to waylay you, and though you be Tarzan and a mighty fighter, they would overwhelm you by their very numbers and slay you. But where are you leading me? asked Tarzan. I have chosen the lesser of two evils. In this direction lies an unknown country, filled for us Oparians with legends of grim creatures and strange people. Never has an Oparian ventured here and returned again to Opar, but if there lives in all the world a creature who can win through this unknown valley... It be you, Tarzan of the Apes. But if you know nothing of this country, or its inhabitants, demanded Tarzan, how is it that you know so well the trail that leads to it? We know well the trail to the summit, but that is as far as I have ever been before. The great apes and the lions use this trail when they come down into Opar. The lions, of course, cannot tell us where it leads, and the great apes will not, for usually we are at war with them. Along this trail they come down into Opar to steal our people, and upon this trail we await to capture them. For often we offer a great ape in sacrifice to the flaming god, or rather that was our former custom. But for many years they have been too wary for us, the toll being upon the other side, though we do not know for what purpose they steal our people, unless it be that they eat them. They are a very powerful race, standing higher than Bolgani the gorilla, and infinitely more cunning, for as there is ape blood in our veins, so is there human blood in the veins of these great apes that dwell in the valley above Opar. Why is it, La, that we must pass through this valley in order to escape from Opar? There must be some other way. There is no other way, Tarzan of the Apes, she replied. The avenues across the valley are guarded by Kaj's people. Our only chance of escape lies in this direction, and I have brought you along the only trail that pierces the precipitous cliffs that guard Opar upon the south. Across or around this valley we must go in an attempt to find an avenue across the mountain and down upon the other side. The ape-man stood gazing down into the wooded basin below them, his mind occupied with the problems of the moment. Had he been alone, he would not have come this way, for he was sufficiently confident of his own prowess to believe that he might easily have crossed the valley of Opar in comparative safety, regardless of Kaja's plans to the contrary. But he was not alone. He had now to think of La, and he realized that in her efforts to save him, she had placed him under a moral obligation which he might not disregard. To skirt the basin, keeping as far as possible from the building, which he could see in the distance, seemed the wisest course to pursue, since, of course, his sole purpose was to find a way across the mountain and out of this inhospitable country. But the glimpses he caught of the edifice, half concealed as it was amid the foliage of great trees, piqued his curiosity to such an extent that he felt an almost irresistible urge to investigate. He did not believe that the basin was inhabited by other than wild beasts, 
and he attributed the building which he saw to the handiwork of an extinct or departed people, whether contemporaneous with the ancient Atlanteans who had built Opar, or, perhaps, built by the original Oparians themselves, but now forgotten by their descendants. The glimpses which he caught of the building suggested such size and magnificence as might belong to a palace. The ape-man knew no fear, though he possessed to a reasonable extent the caution which is inherent in all wild beasts. He would not have hesitated to pit his cunning and his prowess against the lower orders, however ferocious they might be, for, unlike man, they could not band together to his undoing. But should men elect to hunt him in numbers, he knew that a real danger would confront him, and that, in the face of their combined strength and intelligence, his own might not avail him. There was little likelihood, however, he reasoned, that the basin was inhabited by human beings. Doubtless closer investigation of the building he saw would reveal that it was but a deserted ruin, and that the most formidable foes he would encounter would be the great apes and the lions. Of neither of these had he any fear. With the former, it was even reasonable to imagine that he might establish amicable relations. Believing as he did that he must look for egress from the basin upon its opposite side, it was only natural that he should wish to choose the most direct route across the basin. Therefore, his inclinations to explore the valley were seconded by considerations of speed and expediency. Come he said to Law, and started down the declivity which led into the basin in the direction of the building ahead of them. You are not going that way, she cried in astonishment. Why not, he said. It is the shortest way across the valley, and insofar as I can judge, our trail over the mountain is more likely to lie in that direction than elsewhere. But I am afraid, she said. The flaming god alone knows what hideous dangers lurk in the depths of that forest below us. Only Numa and Mangani, he said. Of these we need have no fear. You fear nothing, she said, but I am only a woman. We can die but once, replied Tarzan, and that once we must die. To be always fearing, then, would not avert it, and would make life miserable. We shall go the short way, then, and perhaps we shall see enough to make the risk well worth while. They followed a well-worn trail downward among the brush, the trees increasing in both size and number as they approached the floor of the basin, until at last they were walking beneath the foliage of a great forest. What wind there was was at their back, and the ape-man, though he moved in a swinging walk, was constantly on the alert. Upon the hard-packed earth of the trail, there were few signs to indicate the nature of the animals that had passed to and fro, but here and there the spore of a lion was in evidence. Several times Tarzan stopped and listened. Often he raised his head, and his sensitive nostrils dilated as he sought for whatever the surrounding air might hold for him. I think there are men in this valley, he said presently. For some time I have been almost positive that we are being watched. But whoever is stalking us is clever beyond words, for it is only the barest suggestion of another presence that I consent. La looked about apprehensively and drew close to his side. I see no one, she said in a low voice. Nor I, he replied. Nor can I catch any well-defined scent spore. Yet I am positive that someone is following us, someone or something that trails by scent, and is clever enough to keep its scent from us. It is more than likely that, whatever it is, it is passing through the trees at a sufficient height to keep its scent spore always above us. The air is right for that, and even if he were upwind from us, we might not catch his scent at all. Wait here, I will make sure. And he swung lightly into the branches of a nearby tree, and swarmed upward with the agility of Manu, the monkey. A moment later he descended to the girl's side. I was right, he said. There is someone or something not far off, but whether it is man or mangani, I cannot say, for the odor is a strange one to me, suggesting neither, yet both. But two can play at that game. Come! and he swung the girl to his shoulder, and a moment later had carried her high into the trees. Unless he is close enough to watch us, which I doubt, he said, our spore will be carried over his head, and it will be some time before he can pick it up again, unless he is wise enough to rise to a higher level. 
La marveled at the strength of the ape-man as he carried her easily from tree to tree, and at the speed with which he traversed the swaying leafy trail. For half an hour he continued onward, and then quite suddenly he stopped, poised high upon a swaying bough. Look, he said, pointing ahead and below them. Looking in the direction that he indicated, the girl saw through the leafy foliage a small, heavily stockaded compound, in which were some dozen huts that immediately riveted her surprised attention. Nor no less was the ape-man's curiosity piqued by what he glimpsed vaguely through the foliage. Huts they evidently were, but they seemed to be moving to and fro in the air, some moving gently backward and forward, while others jumped up and down in more or less violent agitation. Tarzan swung to a nearer tree and descended to a sturdy branch to which he lowered law from his shoulder. Then he crept forward stealthily, the girl following, for she was, in common with other Oparians, slightly arboreal. Presently, they reached a point where they could see plainly the village below them, and immediately the seeming mystery of the dancing huts was explained. They were of the beehive type, common to many African tribes, and were about seven feet in diameter by six or seven in height. But instead of resting on the ground, each hut was suspended by a heavy, hosser-like grass rope to a branch of one of the several giant trees that grew within the stockade. From the center of the bottom of each hut trailed another lighter rope. From his position above them, Tarzan saw no openings in any of the huts large enough to admit the body of a man, though there were several openings four or five inches in diameter in the sides of each hut, about three feet above the floor. Upon the ground inside the compound were several of the inhabitants of the village, if the little collection of swinging houses could be dignified by such a name. Nor were the people any less strange to Tarzan than their peculiar domiciles. That there were negroes was evident but of a type entirely unfamiliar to the ape-man. All were naked, and without any ornamentation whatsoever, other than a few daubs of color placed apparently at random upon their bodies. They were tall and very muscular-appearing, though their legs seemed much too short and their arms too long for perfect symmetry, while their faces were almost bestial in contour, their jaws being exaggeratedly prognathous, while above their beetling brows there was no forehead, the skull running back in almost a horizontal plane to a point. As Tarzan stood looking at them, he saw another descend one of the ropes that dangled from the bottom of a hut, and immediately he understood the purpose of the ropes and the location of the entrances to the dwellings. The creatures squatting about upon their haunches were engaged in feeding. Several had bones from which they were tearing the uncooked flesh with their great teeth, while others ate fruit and tubers. There were individuals of both sexes and of various ages from childhood to maturity, but there was none that seemed very old. They were practically hairless, except for scraggy, reddish-brown locks upon their heads. They spoke but seldom and then in tones which resembled the growling of beasts. Nor once, while Tarzan watched them, did he see one laugh or even smile, which, of all their traits, rendered them most unlike the average native of Africa. Though Tarzan's eyes searched the compound carefully, he saw no indication of cooking utensils or of any fire. Upon the ground about them lay their weapons, short javelin-like spears and a sort of battle-axe with a sharpened metal blade. Tarzan of the Apes was glad that he had come this way, for it had permitted him to see such a type of native as he had not dreamed existed, a type so low that it bordered closely upon the brute. Even the Wazdans and Hodans of Poyuldan were far advanced in the scale of evolution compared to these. As he looked at them, he could not but wonder that they were sufficiently intelligent to manufacture the weapons they possessed, which he could see, even at a distance, were of fine workmanship and design. Their huts, too, seemed well and ingeniously made, while the stockade which surrounded the little compound was tall, strong, and well-built, evidently for the purpose of safeguarding them against the lions which infested the basin. As Tarzan and La watched these people, they became presently aware of the approach of some creature from their left, and a moment later they saw a man similar to those of the compound swinging from a tree that overhung the stockade and dropped within. The others acknowledged his coming with scarce more than indifferent glances. He came forward and, squatting among them, appeared to be telling them of something and though Tarzan could not hear his words, he judged from his gestures and the sign language which he used to supplement his meager speech 
that he was telling his fellows of the strange creatures he had seen in the forest a short time before and the ape-man immediately judged that this was the same whom he had been aware was following them and whom he had successfully put off the scent the narration evidently excited them for some of them arose and leaping up and down with bent knees slapped their arms against their sides grotesquely the expressions upon their faces scarcely changed however and after a moment each squatted down again as he had been before it was while they were thus engaged that there echoed through the forest a loud scream that awakened in the mind of the ape-man many savage memories ogani he whispered to la it is one of the great apes she said and shuddered presently they saw him swinging down the jungle trail toward the compound a huge gorilla but such a gorilla as tarzan of the apes had never looked on before of almost gigantic stature the creature was walking erect with the stride of a man not ever once touching his knuckles to the ground his head and face were almost those of a gorilla and yet there was a difference as tarzan could note as the creature came nearer it was bolgani with the soul and brain of a man nor was this all that rendered the creature startling and unique stranger perhaps than aught else was the fact that he wore ornaments and such ornaments gold and diamonds sparkled against its shaggy coat above its elbows were numerous armlets and there were anklets upon its legs while from a girdle about its middle there depended before and behind a long narrow strip that almost touched the ground and which seemed to be entirely constructed of golden spangles set with small diamonds never before had john clayton lord greystoke seen such a display of barbaric finery nor even amidst the jewels of opar such a wealth of priceless stones immediately after the hideous scream first broke in the comparative silence of the forest tarzan had noticed its effects upon the inmates of the compound instantly they had arisen to their feet the women and children scurried behind the boles of the trees or clambered up the ropes into their swinging cages while some of the men advanced to what tarzan now saw was the gate of the compound outside this gate the gorilla halted and again raised his voice but this time in speech rather than his hideous scream End of chapter.